deeper into what it means to to just go after the kingdom and go after our Father. So I pray that. I pray for those who are being baptized today. I pray that this marks a, uh, an incredible moment for them, a memory, but also a launching point. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thanks, worship team. Great job. Everyone can sit down. I mean, you can applaud for the worship team one more time if you want to because they did a great job. So, man, I love Sunday in the park. Um, this, well, this is what, Church at the River? We've got a, we decided uh, last night, uh, the last week, my wife and I were talking about how we should have thought more consciously about how we named uh, the, the church in the park, church at the church picnic and river baptism, and then church in the park. They get a little bit confusing sometimes. So um, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to deal with the wind. So while I'm stalling here just for a second... Because if I don't use my notes, we'll be here all day. That's my wife saying amen. Looks like I'm not using my notes today. <clears throat> Start praying. Start praying. Maybe maybe this will end. I'm just kidding. Um, okay. So, Tyler's message is called All In. So, what does it mean? What have you, you got a clip for me? I'm not sure it'll help me, but we can try. People are like, oh, please, I can't go all day. <laughs> we'll try this. All right. Okay. Thank you. We'll see if it, I don't think it's going to work, but we'll try. Like, Michael, have faith so we get out of here and get to eat. Just kidding. All right. So, what I so this whole series so simple. The the point of it, and the point of a lot of what um, is going on in my teaching right now, is to try and help people understand the um, not just the cost of Christianity, but what we're supposed to how we're, how we're supposed to focus on it, and how important it is to our lives, and and so. One of the things that I, that's really bothering me over the last couple of years, the, the, one of the things, I'm, I'm trying to keep the wind out of this mic, but... It, can you guys see the TV now? It feels like when I was a kid and Dad was like, hold those antennas, man, I want to watch the game. You have to be old to know what that was right there. <laughs> anyway, what... One of the things that's greatly troubling me, it's creating a lot of prayer time in my life, which is always good for me, is just the, I, I don't want to be insulting, but there's like a shallowness to faith that's developed over the last 20 or 30 years. And people are, uh, it just seems like God is always on trial. That's what it, seem, it seems like to me. It seems like that many people are, are living their life and the minute something bad happens, Rather than looking at the world that caused it, they look to God like it's His fault because He let it happen. And it brings their faith into question. And, I, and I've had so many conversations that are basically something that is a, basically says, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if God's good. I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if I can trust Him. Those kinds of conversations. Now, here's the thing. I get it that God is confusing at times. 
But if your faith is always up for debate, and if God is always on trial, sooner or later you will exit your faith. Sooner or later someone's going to present an argument, or there will be a circumstance present itself, and you will be faithless. Now, that's a problem. Jesus said this. Now, one of my challenges as a, a minister of the gospel is to present to you who Jesus really was, not who the world says he is, and not who people imagine him to be. And so Jesus said some things that are very challenging. And one of the things he says in Luke 9.62, he says, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Not fit. Now that's Jesus. And everyone imagines Jesus is like, y'all, everyone come, everyone, you know, I, just, I love everybody, love, 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 love is all you need. That's John Lennon. That's not Jesus. Okay? Jesus said, hey, what I'm presenting to you is important. It not just matters, it matters to your life and your soul, and even most importantly, it matters to your eternity. That's what matters. And that's what Jesus, Jesus did not come to comfort us. He did give us a comforter because the world's a broken place. Jesus came to save us, to spare us. Does, does that make sense? Are you with me? This is so important because if we keep living our lives like God is some kind of celestial Santa Claus who's just supposed to fill out our list, and Jesus is just our best friend, you know, He is your, He says He's the friend that, that he came, he called us our his friends, but he's our Lord. He, he's Lord of all, King of Kings. He's the Commander of all heaven's armies. You understand the these things? I hope you understand that. I need you to understand that. And here's why I need you to understand that. What if coming to Jesus means you have a worse life? What if following Jesus means things get harder, not easier? Not, not, not exciting. There's a gospel that's like, man, you know, you come to Jesus, he's got a, God has a wonderful plan for your life. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. He just has a longer term vision for your life than you do. You're trying to get your career in place or your business off the ground. Or your microphone to stop doing that. It's Wyoming. We have to deal with the wind. It blows out all the uh, people from weird places, though. Got that? Okay. Just the things we get to deal with today. Mainly because, uh, man, you need to hear this today. <laughs> Holy Spirit blowing through. That's right. Rushing wind blow through this temple, Keith Green. So, if your life gets harder by following Jesus, are you still in? If your, uh, if your finances get worse, if your health doesn't change, if the relationships don't get fixed, are you still in? Because Christianity that I see in the Scriptures, what I'm reading from the Bible, is it's an all-in deal. It's all or nothing, actually. And so... I'm all for you taking the time to figure out what you believe and working through your faith issues. We're here for that. 
But there always comes a point, a fish or cut bait moment, a, a decision point in, where you're either all in or you're all done. And so I want to encourage you to be all done because I think that's, I mean, all in. <laughs> all done with the world and all in with Jesus. Jesus came and told his disciples, Matthew 28, 18, reading out the NLT. I'll use a few different translations today. He told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And let me throw in a passage by, in Thessalonians that Paul wrote. Paul writes now, and this is how the New English translation, he says, Now may the God of peace himself make you completely holy, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I, I want you to see is that God wants all of you. He wants to relate with all of you, every part of you. The way you think, He wants to relate with your thoughts. He wants to relate with the way you live and experience your life, both physically and emotionally. He wants to relate with your soul, your heart, and the, the deep emotions of your person. I believe as, Trinit as a Trinitarian, and many you may argue with the Trinitarian perspective, but I believe as a, someone who believes that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I believe that God wants to connect and relate with human beings on a body, soul, and spirit level. I believe that because I believe that God is a consuming God. I don't think God is an affiliated God. I don't even believe He's a cooperating God. I believe He's a consuming God. I believe that when you let God in your life, He takes over or you kick Him out. One of those two things eventually happens. And so I want you to know that God wants a relationship with all of you. Every part of your thinking, living, and believing. He didn't put His Son on a cross so He could just have you for an hour one day a week. He put His Son on a cross to save you completely and entirely and to be in relationship with you. Another thing that I think is really important that we have to understand as, as Christians is that Christianity is about obedience to God. It's about doing what God says. There's no way around this. There is no way around this. I am not saying Christians don't struggle with sins and with the commandments of God. I'm not. We do. Not enough of us do. And, and so we, we need to realize that God knows the way. God knows how it should be. God knows how we should live our lives. God knows what's best for us, not just now, but for all eternity. And so living according to what He says is the purest form of wisdom. Disobeying and disagreeing with what God says, that's declaring yourself as your own God and wiser than God. And I love you, but you're not smarter than God. And so... I want to, I, I, Christianity needs to make a comeback to obedience in my mind. We as believers have to, we have to get into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we're about to start doing that in September. And we, we need to realize that Jesus instructed us and taught us a different way to live. And you can't learn that way from the world. You can't learn that way from a book on a shelf can only learn it from the Word of God and Jesus and the Spirit of God. He teaches you that way. So, 
Baptism is about being all in. It is an overwhelming experience, especially in Green River. I, I'm telling you guys, I am, you know I am not from here. I love it here, and I, I, I hope one day that uh, they'll call me, well, Michael's just might as well be from here. I've only been here 20 years. I think you have to hit 40 or something to get there, but, but I love it here. But I am not from here. I am from the place where the water is so hot. You, there, I remember when I was a teenager, I jumped in a swimming pool, and you couldn't even tell it was wet because it was the exact same temperature as the air. Weirdest experience ever. So Wyoming waters freeze me to death. Shane Riskus is here. I saw him somewhere. That young man dragged me up into the Sweetwater Gap in May for his baptism, and I thought I was going to die. So, yeah. What do you say? You have something for the microphone? All right. It's like we're going to prom. All right. Thanks, Steve. When you, when you get into the river, it's cold. And then when the pastor puts you under and holds you under for, what's brain damage sit in? Four and a half minutes? So f- four minutes and 29 seconds. Um, it, it's overwhelming. The river overwhelms you. And that is exactly what a relationship with God is like. It's an overwhelming relationship. And I really need you to understand that. I need everyone here, whether you like it or not is okay. I'm not trying to make you like it. But you need to understand that a relationship with God, a pursuit of God, is overwhelming. And if it's not overwhelming, something's wrong. If it's not overwhelming, you are pro- what you're probably doing is you're probably containing God in a box over here. And you're like, okay, God, you got this, this little part of my life, but you can't. I, I, don't get out in the rest. I can't handle your chaos. And you can't handle his chaos, but I'm here to tell you his chaos is so much more fun than your order. That was for me, not you, Um, but I'm glad you heard it. So baptism is about obedience. Then it's also about a clear conscience. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.21, as the water is a picture of baptism, he's talking about the flood in this text and how the, the flood is an overwhelming picture of baptism. He says, it's a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing the dirt from your body, not by going into the water, not by the ritual, but as a response to God from a clean conscience, it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, baptism is one of those things that gives you a a clear conscience with God. What it does is it states to God, I am in agreement with you. See, there's a passage in Amos, in the minor prophet Amos, where he says, how can two walk together except they agree? And it's a reference to how the nation of Israel is living in opposition to God. We talked about how important obedience is. And Christianity at its core, at its foundation, is obedience to Jesus, obedience to the Father, and obedience to the Holy Spirit. At its core, it is that. So here comes baptism, and this is a conversation I've had with a few people lately. Here comes this act of baptism, and Jesus says, I want you to go out and make disciples, and then I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you to do. That's an instruction from Jesus. I call baptism the first public act of obedience to God. And in America, it costs in that you're out in the river and it's cold and we're in a public place and everyone can see it. But there are other places on the planet that it costs much more 
It costs jobs, sometimes lives, definitely family relationships. And so I just want you to know that when we come to the Lord in baptism, we take that first step of doing what Jesus says. And if you are like struggling with whether or not you should be baptized, so here's the question I pose, and I don't mean it to be offensive, but it is, I'll be honest with you. If you want to call yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and you aren't willing to do the first thing he told you to do, what does that say about your faith? Well, I'll tell you what it says, just because I'll be frank and clear. It says you don't have one. It says you don't have a faith because you don't believe Jesus enough to do the most basic thing he said to do. And I understand the arguments that people might have. But I tell you, that I've, we've overcome so many of them. I remember a few years ago, we baptized a guy with five-gallon buckets of water. We're not sprinklers. We, we have a lot of Baptist roots, which means drown them, son. <clears throat> so, I understand the arguments, but I also understand that following Jesus in baptism is that first and important act of public obedience. Another thing I want to say about it is, it is a decision... This is a decision you make to decide. seems like as I get closer to this, I echo more. So I'll try and... I'm sorry, you guys. I hate to leave you over there alone. But uh, maybe that makes you more comfortable. I don't know. But another thing that baptism does and this concept of all-in does is it, it moves our thinking and our living out of the world that we exist in and into a new place. You can either live from your own, your own self you can live from society, or you can live from Christ. There's a passage in Peter where, it's in 2 Peter, where Peter's talking about Lot. And Lot was a, the story of Lot is he was Abraham's nephew, and he moved to Sodom for financial reasons and purposes. And he, he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a wicked, wicked city. And, and Peter tells us that Lot's soul was afflicted, was sick of the wickedness in Sodom. And here, here's a guy who's one of, one of God's people. He's a God follower. The Bible calls him righteous. Peter refers to him as righteous. But he lives in a really wicked place, a place that's so wicked that it's making Lot sick in his soul. Now, I read that and I get a lot from that because I feel like we live in Sodom today. And I don't mean just America. I mean the world. I think the world is more like Sodom everywhere. And I feel like believers, people, people are really, you, Jesus is not just of interest to you, but he's your Lord. It, it, it just feels like a sickness, an affliction. It, it hurts my heart and the hearts of believers to see what's happening, how people are hurting, the brokenness, the evil that's so prevalent in our world. And so I think we relate a bit to Lot. So if the world's afflicting my soul... I don't, I don't want to be part of that. I want to be free of that. I want to live in, in a way that doesn't just make me free of that, but helps other people be free of that. So I don't want to drown in Sodom. I want to be delivered in Jesus. Again, back to that overwhelming picture. You can be overwhelmed by the wickedness of the world, or you can be overwhelmed by a loving Father who knows what's best for you, not only in time, but in eternity. And so we want, to, we want to move from this thinking of drowning in the world and its wickedness to, to being alive in Christ. And that, the truth is, is that 
a lot of what we know and how we live our lives and the values that we set, a lot of those came from the world we live in. And they're wrong. I'm not saying they're not real. I'm not saying they're not factual. I'm not saying you don't have to deal with them. I'm just saying they're wrong. Just because something exists and you have to deal with it doesn't make it right. And so, moving into this concept of God that's all into Him, being delivered from a world that's evil and wrong, and being delivered into Christ, and changing the way we think, being free from our disaster, and the disaster of the world we're living in, and being wrapped in who Jesus Christ is. Beginning to think of God as a God who loves us and wants what's best for us, and our circumstances have no bearing on who God is. Our troubles have no bearing on whether God is good or not, or whether He's faithful or not. So that's moving there. So we move from this place where we're all about ourselves to where we're all about God. We move from this place where we're drowning in the world to we are now overwhelmed and delivered in Christ And that puts us in a place where we can live. So, I I, I figure I'm probably going to die one day. And if you saw my diet, you'd wonder how I'm still here today. But uh, I want to be cremated because I've always wanted an epic fat burn workout. You know, I'm just like, I'd like to lose 240 pounds of fat in 20 minutes. It'd be awesome. You'll know because they will, the cremation center will explode. Poof! Big nuclear cloud over there down by vase. I am. Um, you're like, Michael, you've really thought about this. Yes, oh, I have really thought about this. Mainly because, and I know this is the, the really kind of pathetic part is, I don't want to be buried in a suit. I, I would rather be burned than suited. I, I really would. And you're like, Michael, why are you so against suits? Well, I, I started ministry in the South, and I used to wear uh, full suits every Sunday, and it was, it was horrible. I mean, I, I don't even know how Jesus showed up in those days because it was so horrible. But anyway, uh, I, I, and Christy knows this. I don't want to be buried in a suit. At my funeral, you know, maybe a polo. I, do, I don't want to look too dead, though. <laughs> Have you ever been to a funeral, and you're like, man, they look, they look rough. I like those funerals where you go to and they're like, man, they look so good. They look like they don't even belong in there. That's what I, that's what I want to be, right? Be that guy, all right? And I want them to put a little bit of a smirk on my face like I know, like I know something you don't. I do want them to do that. And, if, and by the way, when I go, I want to, I'm just telling you guys, just in case, if it were to happen soon, I want you guys to be up to it. But I, I want it to be fun. I, I want you guys to enjoy it because I'm having a great time and not thinking about you when I get home. But if you guys, if it gets really rowdy, don't leave me in that casket. Get me out. I want to crowd surf for something if it's fun. Michael, what is this ridiculous story you're telling me? So in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And we talk about it often because it's so applicable to what happens when you follow Jesus and how your life changes. So... Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he comes out of the grave, and he's wrapped in his grave suit, which then it was wrapped in strips of cloth and different things. He comes out. Lazarus is dressed like a dead man. The clothes he's wearing probably smell like a dead man. 
But inside of all that dead man accoutrement is a living man. And Jesus tells the people to unwrap him and set him free. Well, you and I, being baptized and everything that it means, walking into this life with Christ is walking out of a grave. And when you're alive, you shouldn't dress like you're in a grave anymore. You shouldn't think like you're in a grave anymore. You shouldn't smell like you're in a grave anymore. If you're going to... Amen to that. Thank you, Miss Sally. <laughs> when you come out of a grave, you should walk out of it like someone living. And to do that, you have to leave the stench and the grave suit behind. This is what Christianity is. It is leaving behind everything the world loves. I don't think Christians understand today that the reality is, is that when you declare Jesus as your Lord, that is an open rebellion against the world in which we live. You are moving to a new kingdom. And the funny thing is, is that by doing that, you make yourself a servant to, to love and make this kingdom the best it can be. But you are, in a sense, moving to a new king... And the kingdoms of earth do not appreciate that move, by the way. So I want, to, I want everyone to understand what it is to be saved, to follow Jesus, to move from a place of death to life, to move from a place from self to Christ, to, to move from a place of... Sorry. Um, just drowning in my own... Focus and not in God's and moving to being a Christian and following Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 2, 6, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. This is such an important chapter for Christians who are struggling with how do I proceed? How do I take these steps of faith? This, I, it helped me so much. It says, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots go down deep into Him and let your lives be built on Him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Amen. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Boy, that verse needs to get quoted more. <laughs> that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Guys, you and I, we are something new. Our life is new. And there's nothing on this earth that can help you walk into the newness that Jesus has given you. Do you understand that? There's nothing here. No amount of money, no amount of success, fame, popularity, whatever the world promises you, whatever is hindering you in following Christ, none of those things are adequate for what is new by what Christ has done in you. So we need to pursue that. Our lives need to change. Our lives need to change so extremely, so extremely. We all need to be a little nuts and weird. Anybody else weird? I mean, you know I'm weird, but some weird. Why is that? Okay, there's this passage in Corinthians that, that uh, just should rock your world. It's just, I'm going to read one verse, one verse that Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a chapter about how we're going to be resurrected. I read part of it for a service yesterday. But he says this in verse 19. He says, If our hope in Christ is only for this life, if our hope for Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Do you know what Paul's saying? 
He's saying if you're wrong, you should live in such a way that if you are wrong about Jesus, you waste your life. That's what he's saying. You should live for Jesus in such a way that if you're wrong, your life is a waste. Like, Michael, I can't waste my life if you don't live so that Jesus is the priority and the main thing in your life. You will waste your life. Because Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Because he said in John 14, he says, Hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. He said that. Now, you've got to decide. Is he telling the truth or is he crazy? Well, before you decide, you should also know. That that same guy was nailed to a cross, put in a grave for three days, and rose from the dead. And so, man, I'm telling you, either Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, or I don't know what to say about that. The guy who rose from the dead, I want to hear what he has to say. No one else has accomplished that. So, this life, it isn't about your success. It isn't about your fame. This life is about the glory of God. This life is about pouring into God, His pouring my life into God in such a way that He's glorified. And the reward in that is, is that the more of my glory, the more of my success, the more of my fame that I pour into Jesus, the more He shares back with me. This life is also about the salvation of the lost. We can feed people, help people, make the world a great place. We could make it so that poverty and shame and all these things didn't exist. But if we did not give them Jesus, then they would stand before God and they would never know the wonders of His goodness in person. People need to be saved. I I like to remind people, and it's something I remind myself often, the stakes of what is going to happen eternally I think, are evidenced in the reality that God nailed His Son to a cross. I do believe that if the stakes had not been extreme, God would have found an easier way. And so, it's about people being saved, and it's about living your life in such a way that if you're wrong, it's a waste. And I know that's a big thing to say. That's why I've said it four times now. If you're wrong, it's a waste. Here's the thing. You're not wrong. The guy who told us how it is died and rose again. The guy who gave us the Sermon on the Mount and laid out how life should really be lived from the kingdom of God died and got over it. The guy who taught us things like love your enemies and bless those who curse you, who taught us to mourn and find comfort, who taught us that we were blessed when we were persecuted and we should rejoice. That guy was murdered. And then when he decided to live again, he did. And so you have to decide who you're going to listen to. I don't think you've done anything that noteworthy, as wonderful as you probably are. But I know that the Lord Jesus has done it all. And I challenge not just you, but myself. Live your life in such a way that if you're wrong, you waste it all.
Father God, been a lot of distractions this morning. I don't know how Jesus did it on a mountainside. I'm going to have to work on my mountainside prep, I see. But Lord, the truth of the message is the same. You are our only hope. You're not just our only hope. You're all that matters. You are worth giving our entire lives for. You are worth allowing our lives to be consumed by your presence and who you are. So Lord, I pray today that you would do that. You would consume us. I pray for any life that has not decided yet. They don't know what they're going to do with Jesus. I pray you'd help them to get there. I pray you'd help them to get to a place where they find life and they find hope and they find strength. And it's so significant that what happens around them is of no consequence. Because what's happened in them is so magnificent. So Lord, I pray that you would move in us today. I pray that as we baptize today that we just come unglued and get very celebratory at the reality that so many men, women, and children have decided to follow Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen.